Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul-Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing something that was mysterious to me anyway as a child, but turns out is a fairly well-known story in the area of Camelton, New Brunswick. I know I've mentioned that I'm from New Brunswick, from the Moncton area. Um, I currently live in Nova Scotia, but your side of the family mostly still lives in, in Camelton, New Brunswick. Yep, that's right. Which is in the northern part of the province. So we used to visit the area on a pretty regular basis when we were younger. There's a mountain in that area that's called Sugarloaf Mountain. And we used to go climb it pretty regularly when we went down to visit family members. As a child, I do remember finding it a pretty fun climb, and it has a really nice view from the top. I have climbed it as an adult. It was a different experience. It's pretty steep. Yeah, it is. It's kind of hard as a parent going up and trying to keep up with the kids. I remember you saying when we were kids, like, oh, when you're adults, you're going to find this different. And yeah, you were right. It's more strenuous when you become an adult. So one of the things that always stuck out to me is on what I think is the steepest side of the mountain, there's always been two crosses that were painted there. One of them seems really big, and then a little bit higher up, there's a slightly smaller one. They have a red background, they're painted in white. I always wondered what happened what those crosses represented. And I remember hearing various stories about it when I was a kid. Now, I think I was pretty young when I heard about it. So all the stories that I remember have a variation of people going up the mountain to pick blueberries. So I remember hearing that a mother and daughter fell off the mountain while blueberry picking and two sisters got lost while blueberry picking and fell off the mountain. But I feel like it was maybe just my kid brain adding that element to everything. I think some people have different ways of telling the story because they know what the cross is. Two people died on the mountain. And uh, I guess depending on what they were told as children, that's the story that they're repeating. Yeah, I guess it's like the telephone game. Things do get mixed up when they go from person to person and with the passage of time as well. As an adult, I've always wondered about what actually happened and what the story was about those crosses. So today we're actually going to find out. According to a 2016 CBC article, two sisters set out to hike the mountain late in the day on November 9th, 1924. So this was a couple years ago. The sisters were Lottie Ramsey and the other one is named Mrs. Edmund McLean. So her actual name was Dorval, but she's referred to by her husband's name, which in the 1920s I think would have been pretty typical, but nowadays seems quite outdated. The sisters' ages are not really known. Different sources cite different ages. One article said that Lottie was 17 and Dorval was 19, but then on byronchristopher.org it said that Dorval was 22 and Lottie a few years younger. They were young women. Dorval was the eldest. Um, that's what we can gather from that information. And I don't think they actually 
tracked people's ages as closely back then because on byronchristopher.org on that site, he says that Lottie actually has three different dates of birth. So one on her birth certificate, one on her death certificate, and on her gravestone, and none of them are the same. So that's probably not something we'll actually get a precise number on. Well, you'll hear sometimes, uh, especially from back in those days, they'll refer to somebody being born between 1920 and 1924. So yeah. It's probably one of those things. Probably. And I've met people from other countries that don't actually know their age because it's just not something that was tracked and they were from really large families. So it wasn't really paid attention to that closely and people didn't necessarily celebrate birthdays. So it's not all that unusual. It's just, I guess, unusual to us in our time and place. So we know the young women were headed up the mountain for a hike. Right now, it's a pretty obvious trail to get up there. I I know there was a trail back then. It is stated in the articles, but I, or I'm not sure it was actually as well indicated then than it is now. Over the years, uh, since Sugarloaf became a provincial park and there's a, there's a camping area and there's a ski lodge there, and I think they've done a lot of upgrades to the trail since then. Do you remember going up when you were young? I do. Um, the trail the trail was easy to find. Um, there's a set of stairs now. There's an area that's pretty rocky and uh, you know it takes some negotiating to do to get up there but they've since built a set of stairs. To my recollection that trail it's always been where it is now. Yeah and that's what they say. It was at the same spot. It just probably was less obvious um, maybe a bit easier to get turned around on. According to ByronChristopher.org, the sisters would have made it up the mountain around the time the sun was going down. It may have been snowing a bit because there was definitely fresh footsteps in the ground up there. Now, anyone who's been hiking knows that dusk is not a good time to be at the end of an out-and-back trail. Especially not there where it's quite rocky. And if it snowed a little bit, it would have been slippery. Right, so any trail, but especially a mountain, it's not a good idea. Even as soon as the sun starts going down, you, it's hard to see where you're stepping. It can still be fairly light out, and it's just the ground just doesn't look the same. So we can't really know what happened up there that evening. We know that the sisters didn't come home for supper, and their family started worrying pretty quickly. Dorval had just gotten married a little over a year ago, and had a very young baby at home. Lottie still lived with her parents and worked at a local restaurant. Around 10 p.m. that night, some people headed out to search for the girls, but they didn't find them. The next morning, they headed up the mountain. I'm not sure if they knew that's where Lottie and Dorval had gone or if it's just another place they were searching, but once they got on top of the mountain, they found footsteps in the snow that they followed but unfortunately, those footsteps were headed down the wrong side of the mountain. And that's a pretty straight drop there. It's the, the wall is, well, it's a wall is what it is straight down. It's a very steep drop, very quickly. And it, it's kind of hard not to question what happened. I suppose they, with, the, with night falling, they may have not been able to locate the trailhead, I would think. So in their confusion, they started going down the wrong side of the mountain. It's very steep. 
it's very treacherous and by the time they realized they what they were doing it may have been too late they may they may have been unable to go back on their footsteps and i suppose back then in 1924 there wouldn't have been too many street lights and houses at the base of the mountain for them to get their bearings more than likely not and honestly as a person who can get lost in a paper bag I can see how that happens where it just takes a couple minutes and you've looked around and all of a sudden you don't know which way's out. The girls' footsteps were going every which way down the mountain. Clearly they were lost and you could tell just by the footprints that they didn't know where they were going. I wonder how quickly they realized they were in trouble. I'm pretty sure it didn't take very long. Again, that mountain gets steep really quick. The mountain is just under a thousand feet high. The searchers found the footsteps ending right at the edge of a sharp cliff. The girls had fallen to their death. In the dark, they probably never saw the edge of the cliff coming. It was a six to seven hundred foot drop. So one of the girls was found a little bit higher up than the other. I think that's why the crosses are painted the way they are, to show where their bodies were found. It was always my understanding that the crosses were painted where they were found. Both girls' bodies were carried down the mountain. They're buried in the rural cemetery in Camelton. Do you know where that is? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, it's around the center of town there, just near the outskirts of Campbellton, between Campbellton and Athelville. So you can actually see the mountain from the graveyard. According to ByronChristopher.org, a man named Alex Johnson who was a World War I sniper, and his brother, Seeley, painted the crosses the next year in memory of the sisters. He had himself strapped in properly to get the crosses painted so he wouldn't fall off the mountain. So it's that steep that there's no way to be just up there. You need proper equipment. Apparently, the sisters' families weren't happy about those crosses and it's easy to imagine why it seems like such a senseless death they lost two people and to the families it was probably an everyday reminder of the tragedy anytime they went by well it would be almost the same as if there was a big billboard put up with the two sisters faces on it yeah every time the family went by you cannot not see them no they're there they're obvious the crosses have been repainted over the years. It's kind of crazy to think that they've been up there since 1925. That's a really long time. They've always been there. Well, of course. I was born In your lifetime. After, yeah, I was born a few years after 1925. Back in 2016, they were repainted after an employee of the park got donations and was helped out by the fire department, according to a CBC article. Her name is Laura Doucette, and it was very important to her to keep the memorial going. Her uncle had been repainting those crosses since 1967, and he'd recently died of cancer, so she kind of wanted to take, up, to take up that repainting in memory of him. So the crosses remain as a reminder to be careful. Tragedy can strike very quickly. I mean, we had a family member who died from a fall in a park, and... It's not someone that you would have thought. I mean, he was in good shape. He was healthy. You wouldn't have thought, but it, it, it happens. Yeah, just one mistake, one slip, you're gone. Yeah. I don't know. I have mixed feelings. Like, if the family wasn't happy with it, it's kind of hard to think of them as a good thing. But I think 
the town was more than likely in mourning for what had happened as well. And again, I think it's it's there as a reminder that things happen quickly and you do need to watch out. It basically went up in flames in 1910, so... Yeah. You know, they were probably still dealing with some of that, and uh, the intentions were good. They were, that's true. And I mean, once they're painted up there, how do you, how do you unpaint them? Back then would have been difficult, but I, I don't think now there's any reason to undo it. I'm sure there's still rel- relatives up there because Ramsey is a, a common name in that area. There's even a street named Ramsey Street. And uh, I think it's part, it's, part of the, uh, it's part of the scenery up there now. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, time has a way of healing certain wounds. So as generations passed, it probably didn't have the same meaning than it did back then. I think also it was a great uh, reminder where parents could warn their kids uh, to be careful because it's right there. Yeah. Um, it happened to these two women, so kids are curious. The mountain's right there. It just sticks up above all the others, and natural chilled curiosity, you're going to go up and climb it. I suppose it's also like those crosses you see on the highway sometimes where... I know for me, every time I see them, I think, okay, am I going too fast? Are the conditions okay for the speed I'm going? It is a little bit of a, a reminder that you do need to be careful. None of us are immune. The Sugarloaf Mountain also is named because the reason they call it Sugarloaf comes from a First Nation legend where they used to make maple sugar and put it in a in a cone made out of birch bark. Okay. And apparently when they turn those upside down, that's what the mountain looked like. And there's a whole legend around that. Okay, and I didn't it's, know. It's, a, it's an extinct volcano. I did see that in my research. And there's another Curry Mountain from in Fredericton we talked about a few episodes ago, which is also an extinct volcano. And it's never something I think about when I climb a mountain, but there are quite a few of them. Yeah, in recent years, they've discovered right where the crosses are, somebody, I don't know if it's the lady that was up there painting, but a cold draft coming out from a crack behind the rocks. And I, they had been doing some research thinking that part of the center of the mountain was still hollow. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, it is. So we're going to finish up tonight with our moment of kindness. On last week's episode, I talked about an encounter I uh, witnessed between a little boy and a dog at the at a fort I was walking around. And it's funny because something similar happened again in a park. I was out for a run. I, I saw a little girl with special needs petting a dog so enthusiastically that it could make your heart break. And as I was running by, and it wasn't her dog. There, and there was the owner was standing there, and the girl's parents were there, and the dog was clearly a senior but he was taking it very well he wasn't moving just standing still and letting her go and um I heard the parents say oh that really calmed her down so I didn't witness what had been happening prior to that but it was just a very sweet thing to see and I think that moment of kindness came from the dog really that was just such a trooper in that situation animals know I go back to a dog we had and and we had a special needs uh, child in the family, a relative, and the dog that we had at that time always seemed to be a little kinder to her. 
uh, a little less excited around her. Like he knew he had to be careful not to knock her knock her over. And yeah, I think they can they can sense it. Yeah, and I mean, I think they can sense intention as well, right? So even if her her petting was enthusiastic, it was coming from a good place. So I think I think animals know that kind of thing. I think you're right. It was a heartfelt petting. It was very much from the heart. So thanks for all of you that have been listening. You can find us on Instagram at Crime and Mystery Canada. We also have a Facebook group with the same name, so we'd love it if you'd join. You can also reach us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.